I'm thankful for the privilege of bringing God's word to you on this very special morning of the, of the Christian year. And uh, I invite you to, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have the app on your phone, to look to Mark chapter 15. This thing doesn't want to stay on my belt today. No, thanks. Mark chapter 15 and reading from verse 33 to verse 39. Mark 15, 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they cried, listen, he is calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely, this man was the Son of God. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of meeting together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to remember again in a special way today what you have done for us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for divine love that brings it to us and we pray that now as we think about the atoning death of our Lord Jesus Christ that you will bring your truth to our hearts and minds and that you might be glorified in the response that we make to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all do a lot of measuring. We're interested and uh, dependent on measures every day of our lives. And there are marks that measure certain things. There are, there are marks on some walls these days that show the measurement of the flood. When you ladies uh, do some baking, you measure your ingredients, I hope. When you're driving your car, you check on the fuel gauge to measure how much you've got. When your children bring their report cards home, it's a measurement of their application in their, uh, in their studies. When you receive your bank statement, it's a measure of your income and your expenditure. We're dealing with measurements all the time, much more than we probably realise. 
I wonder if you have ever wondered, does the cross measure anything? What might the cross measure for us? I want to say yes, there are a number of things that the cross measures and I'm going to offer three answers to that question, what does the cross measure? And to say first of all, that the cross is the measure of human sin. The Bible tells us that the human race has rebelled against God, has taken control of their own lives out of God's control. And we might ask, well, is that serious? The Bible calls that rebellion sin. And sometimes when we want to know the seriousness of something, a good way to find out how serious a thing is, is what did it take to correct that issue, that problem? About 50 years ago, in our shire, now the Logan Shire, I think at that time it might have been the Albert Shire, there was a great problem that a lot of people were, became aware of that toxic waste had been dumped in a certain place. And people were very, and rightly, concerned about their health. But how serious was it? There were lots of excuses made. There were a number of promises made. But in the end, the seriousness of that problem, of that issue, can be measured by the millions and millions of dollars that our government was prepared to pay to rehouse people who had been living in that area since it was developed. The seriousness of the problem can be measured by the, the cost to fix the problem. The cross of Jesus Christ is the measure of the seriousness of human sin. The Apostle Paul states that the repeated offering of sacrifices in the Old Testament sacrificial system could not provide a once-for-all atonement for sin. Those Sacrifices had to be made time and time and time again. The only way that sin could be atoned for in this universe, which is ruled by a just and holy God, was for a perfect sacrifice to be voluntarily offered so that the righteous requirements of God's justice could be met. And that perfect sacrifice could not be offered by any ordinary member of the human race because there was no perfect human being to offer the perfect sacrifice except for Jesus Christ. And so God himself provided that perfect sacrifice by coming into this human scene in human form in the person of Jesus of Nazareth and allowing the perfect atoning sacrifice to be made with sinful humans as the, we might say, the perpetrators, 
with sinful human beings as the participants, with sinful human beings as the onlookers, and with the sinless Son of God as the spotless sacrifice. That is the measure of human sin. It was such that nothing and no one could deal with it. Nothing and no one could reconcile sinful man to a holy God. It was only the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died on the cross that could do that. This is the testimony of the scriptures. Listen to several of them. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 and 6 There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And if I might quote just one other scripture, Romans 3.25, God offered Christ Jesus so that by his death he should become the means by which men's sins are forgiven through their faith in him. I hope we get that clearly. By his death, he became the means by which men's sins could be forgiven. Human sin was so serious that there was only one way by which a holy God could deal with it and that way was the cross. It required the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And on this Easter weekend, as we look again at the, the crucified Saviour, we are saying that was the measure of human sin. That was the seriousness of human sin. It required that perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of the best that this world has ever seen, our Lord Jesus. The cross is the measure of human sin. And each one of us is a participant in that sin. I know it for myself, you know it of yourself. We are all involved in the mass of human sin. Secondly, the cross is the measure of God's love. If the only way that a holy God could justly offer forgiveness to mankind and open the way for their reconciliation with himself, if the only way was to give his son Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, why did he do that? He didn't have to do that. He is sovereign God. He would have been perfectly justified in banishing man from existence in view of his sin, his rebellion. Why did he choose to reconcile man at such great cost rather than banish him? The answer, if we can put it simply, is in three words. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. God is love. That is the explanation for why God did what he did to redeem us to himself. Love is 
the unchanging nature of an unchanging God. He is just, he is holy, he is love. And he chose to place such value on us in love and on our relationship with him that he came seeking us. He loved and cared like an ideal shepherd loves and cares for his sheep. Jesus gave us the picture of God as the shepherd, not just willing to accept those who could work their way back into his favour, nothing like that. He gave himself as a, he gave himself as the, the image of a shepherd giving his own life for the sheep that he loved. And as I said before, God did not have to do that. And he would not have done it unless, of course, he wanted enough to have his wayward humanity restored to himself back into the fellowship for which he originally created us. And he did love us like that. Love is the only explanation for the cross. True love is a wonderful thing. How far will it go? What is the measure of true love? I've said that there are various measures that we deal with, like a mark on a wall that shows how far a flood went. But God's love says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Greater love has no man than this, but the God-man, Jesus Christ, had a greater love than that which is expressed when a man lays down his life for his friend. Because, as Romans 5.8 tells us, God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, his enemies, Christ died for us. In the same chapter that I quoted before, 1 John chapter 4, where he, he gives us a those beautiful three words, God is love. <clears throat> he goes on to say this. <clears throat> Pardon me. This is what love is. In other words, this is the definition. This is the essence of love. It is not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the means by which our sins are forgiven. That is through the death of Jesus Christ. The cross on which we focus this Easter weekend, <clears throat> the cross of Jesus Christ is the measure of God's love for estranged mankind. <clears throat> and all that we have been reading and thinking about in the lead up to this Easter uh, weekend, the humiliation, the cruelty, the injustice, the the physical and mental agony and the undeniable spiritual battle that Jesus was going through, all this that is inseparable from the cross is the measure of God's love for you and me. He, in his perfect son, Jesus Christ, was willing to pay this price because he chose to love willful, sinful, wayward humanity including you and me. The cross is the measure of God's love for you and me.
And thirdly, and I'm going to have to ask you to think a little, little differently here from what we have said in those first two points. The cross is the measure of the true believer's commitment to Jesus Christ. Try and stick with me here. The cross is the, the measure that Jesus gave for the true discipleship. The cross means death. And that means that a crucified person leaves behind, abandons the old sphere of life and enters another sphere of life. Jesus did that. Every person who dies leaves the past life behind, don't they? That's what death does. They no longer hear and answer to those things and those persons that they heard and answered to before. When a man is alive, he may choose to respond to the needs and the wishes of his spouse and his loved ones and his close friends. He may be obliged to respond to the demands of the police, maybe the bank manager, maybe um, the tax department. But when he dies, that's all finished. He no longer responds to those desires or those demands. His death ushers in a new sphere in which he is no longer responsive to the past, the desires of others and the demands of others. That is one of the things that death does. It closes off the past and it opens up the new. So when Jesus was explaining to his disciples what it would mean to be truly his followers, he said things like, you've got to die like a grain of wheat when it's planted in the ground dies to what it was before and that opens up a whole new possibility. And he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What did he mean? I'm sure that his meaning was perfectly clear to those who were listening to him because in that day and age under the Roman, uh, the control of the Roman army, for a person to take up his cross could mean only one thing. The only time a person took up his cross was when he was walking out to his own crucifixion. That's what taking up the cross meant and means. And so Jesus is saying very clearly, if you want to be my follower, you can't unless you're prepared to go through a crucifixion. To die to the demands of self and the, the demands of the old way of life and to come alive 
to my will, my desire, my goal, my plans, my control. And that is why the Apostle Paul, who, who did such a wonderful job of interpreting the teachings of Jesus, wrote in, in Galatians 6.14, Far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And he wrote, obviously, while he was still alive, still in the flesh, in this life, he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. A person who was living the normal life, which we all are now, said he had been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That is, I am now living, trusting in and obeying and under the control of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, there was a crucifixion in the history of this world about 2,000 years ago, which is the measure of human sin and which is the measure of divine love. And there is to be a crucifixion in the life of every true believer in Jesus Christ by which it becomes true that it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in and through me. Christ's mind, Christ's will, Christ's desires, Christ's goals all expressed in and through me because through my crucifixion I have died to the demands of self and the old way of life. And we know that that, we all know that that crucifixion is necessary, don't we? Because we know that we have sinned in past. Jesus said so. How far has that crucifixion, which is the measure of our commitment to Jesus Christ, how far has it progressed in your life? And why are we prolonging? Why are we delaying the completeness of that crucifixion of the old self? Why not let this Easter weekend, this Good Friday, be the day when we have seen the cross as the measure and the depth of human sin and the cross as the measure and the length of God's love why not let this day be the day on which we gratefully, thankfully, lovingly and joyously take up our cross, allow Jesus to be Saviour and Lord of our lives and, as our brother Pelly said last Sunday, let our lives show and demonstrate that commitment to Jesus Christ. Let the cross be the measure of your commitment to him. Let us pray. Lord, this we believe is your gospel. This is the gospel you have given us. Human sin is serious. God's love is real. And you call upon us 
to be crucified to the self and the old life and to live under your control. Thank you, Lord, for offering to be our Saviour. May each one of us here before you this morning say yes to the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us and to your Lordship in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.